I'm often asked what the archetype for a 21st century people executive looks like. And aside from breaking down some of the different variables and competencies and, and skill sets they possess that make them different from their predecessors, uh, I think that they have a certain approach and style that makes them so relatable, but also impactful in their companies. And if you asked me to point to a couple examples of leaders that I feel represent that, one of them would absolutely be my guest in today's show, Caitlin Holloway. Caitlin is the VP of People and Culture at Reddit, and she has such a fascinating background beyond just her impact in her current role. And so I was really excited to sit down with her and discuss that in today's podcast. We get into her experience from teacher to animator to HR and how that journey developed along the way. So we'll be right back with that after a brief word from our sponsor. 21st Century HR is a podcast exploring how to build better businesses through modern people practices and approaches. Brought to you by my firm, Amplify. Amplify provides HR executive search and strategic consulting services that help companies build better organizations. From employer brand development and execution to global talent strategies, Amplify develops custom solutions that help clients from Hootsuite to SpaceX optimize their recruiting capabilities. Amplify also hosts a new community for HR leaders called the Ecosystem. The Ecosystem was designed to bring modern HR leaders around the world together to share ideas, inspiration, and support. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 21st Century HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and I am thrilled today to be joined by the VP of People and Culture for Reddit, Caitlin Holloway. Caitlin and I go back a couple years, but uh, interestingly enough, we just met in person for the first time earlier uh, this year at the Culture Amp Conference. So I have so many questions for her. There's a lot I want to dig into with her background. It's fascinating. And so, Caitlin, why don't you give the listeners a brief introduction and background on you before we get started? Absolutely. Well, Lars, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm a huge fan, um, and I'm really, really excited to have this this chat with you today. Um, so, yeah. So, so me, um, I, as you mentioned, I am the VP of People and Culture at Reddit. I'm also a mother to two wily little boys, Luca and Juno, um, both under five. So I, I have my hands full at work and at home. Yeah, uh, that's right. We have that in common. I remember now because uh, we, we both have two, uh, two under five. Exactly. It's we, we are in the, the thrill of it right now, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> um, many, many great things to come. Uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm a mom and I'm an exec here at Reddit and um, I've been in the field of people now officially in an official capacity uh, for just about um, a decade. So yeah, I've had a, a pretty wild journey, uh, a few twists and turns to my career pre-people. Um, but I don't know. I, I think at the end of the day, I've, I've always been in people, just had a different title and a different function. Yeah. And I want to, I want to start there because, uh, from your path, I can certainly see that it's all been about people, even if not in a, in a formal kind of HRE people capacity, but you started your career as a teacher, you know, back in the day. And, and then obviously you, you've had a couple different, uh, you know, evolutions of your career since then, but what, uh, what drew you to teaching to begin with? And kind of, when did you know that that wasn't the thing you wanted to do long-term? <laughs> uh, it, I knew that it probably was not for me before I started. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) So I I graduated college um, during one of our generation's first economic um, implosions. And so I'm one of those, those folks that have actually... I've been working for a really, really long time. LinkedIn does not actually do my my whole career much justice, um, but it doesn't really match my my age. <laughs> I started working um, uh, illicitly uh, when I was ah. thirteen years old. I actually forged my own work permit um, at school so that I could get out and and go hustle. Um, and it was mostly because I I was curious, but also because I I was in a financial position. Um, at a fairly young age to want to, you know, kind of support myself and um, support my family in, in a, you know, a pretty tangible way. Um, so I've, I've been working for a very, very long time um, and put myself through college. Uh, I, was, I was always the kid that had, you know, three to four jobs and was, you know, had a full load of, of units and coursework. Um, and so I didn't really have a very traditional college experience um, there was a an old Eddie Murphy Saturday Night Live joke about how many jobs you got. Um, oh yeah, and that was always me. It was how many jobs you got? Where are you working now? Um, so <laughs> right. so I've done I've done a lot. Um, I had done a lot before I even graduated school. Um, but one one of the passions that I found um, while I was in school was uh, design. Funny enough, and so I I was supposed to go into to law like my family and. Well, to be a rebel, I decided to go into art, which made absolutely no sense. Um, I wasn't even particularly good at it, but I really enjoyed the teacher. Um, but I, I, I really did find a love of design because it was mixing art with communication. Yeah. And uh, and unfortunately, the year that I graduated, um, I, I graduated a little bit early, and my dream was to come to San Francisco and be a, a hoity-toity bigwig San Francisco designer. Um, and this is back during the first dot-com boom. So like the whole pets.com, uh, the, the very, very early days. Oh, um, I remember those. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've always been like a pretty deep internet nerd. I'm one of the first generations that actually had, you know, like I remember sneaking away and having my 14.4 internet modem, uh, trying to sneak in the night to get onto our BBSs, the bulletin board systems and, um, you know, chatting with my soon to be, not soon to be, but later to be husband uh, in the early, early days of the internet. And then in college, I was the first um, class at our school to have uh, the T1 connection, so the yep. Napster generation. So yeah. I've always been a deep internet nerd. Um, and uh, so anyway, I got into design, and I thought that my dream was to kind of be a part of the San Francisco tech thing that was happening. And of course, when I graduated, the whole thing kind of went to, to hell in a handbasket. So uh, I did what any responsible young uh, new grad would do, and I moved home. And uh, <laughs> my mother and her husband uh, were both in public education. Um, and at the time, California was having a teaching crisis, and they were given out free credentials with very, very little needed to obtain those credentials. Um, so I, I worked for Stockton Unified School District under an emergency credential. Um, and it was really to, to kind of make ends meet and to, to go where I knew I had the support. Um, you know, my mom had been a teacher for a number of years, and so... She was a huge, huge help um, in getting me me started and making sure that I was doing the right thing. Um, I taught first and second grade, uh, and then I ended up moving over to high school. Um, I knew that first and second grade wasn't for me the day I started sobbing in front of the class as they were, you know, running amok, and I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I said, thirty-two little ones. Um, most of them had come from uh, pretty difficult backgrounds um, in Stockton and. 
English was a second language. There were a lot of learning disabilities and it was easily the most challenging job I have ever had. Um, but more than that, it was a lot of, re- I felt a very deep responsibility for those children. And I was like, I am going to fail you epically. <laughs> I am not qualified right. for this. And so that school year wrapped up and I moved over to high school where I had a lot more fun. Um, but I, you know, I was, I was a kid myself. I was only 22 teaching, um, 18 year olds. Um, and I, I knew that my dream was to come to San Francisco and, and to get into, uh, into a creative field. So I, I left as soon as I had saved enough for my first month, last month rent in San Francisco. And, and I, I blew out of Dodge. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting. And now the, the kind of Pixar run makes a lot more sense. You know, you, you did a couple jobs, you know, after that, and then you ended up at Pixar as a, as a script supervisor. So I am, I'm infinitely curious. I could spend an hour long podcast just nerding out on that job, but let me just, uh, what, what did that job entail? Like, what was it like to be a script supervisor at Pixar? Yeah, I, I had such an incredibly fun time at Pixar. Um, I, a very, very rewarding part of my career. Um, I, so I was only, um, script supervisor towards the end there, which made it really, um, interesting. It was a wonderful way to kind of close that chapter. Um, but one of the things I love so much about working at that studio, um, was they really had a, a deep appreciation and care for, um, learning and development. And this is before learning and development programs were really popular or big within organizations. Um, but they really, really helped people connect outside of their functions. Um, and so through their, they, they had a university program called Pixar university, uh, PU, which was really funny and clever as most of their, their punny little jokes are. Um, (laughs) but I, I met some really incredible people through that program. Um, and, was really allowed to kind of explore different parts of myself and things that I really enjoyed and didn't enjoy. And so I I joined the studio at a really interesting time. Um, It was right um, in smack in the middle of the Disney uh, Pixar merger acquisition. And the reason that was such an interesting time, um, not just for the company um, kind of graduating to the next chapter of its own life cycle, uh, but for me being an employee, uh, being a Pixarian, I really got to, understand and feel very, very tangibly the old and the new. Um, so there was this, this really cool kind of estuary situation where Pixar was celebrating um, itself and its success, and it was going to be a part of this much larger organization uh, with Disney. And so ha- really having exposure to the leaders and executives that were now being forced to be very explicit about what made them successful um, really, really dynamically shaped who I am today, how I um, shape my own kind of points of views, philosophies, um, and even policies. Um, and so for me, the, the start of my Pixar career really is what has laid the foundation for me to eventually come in, into the people uh, space. So hearing them talk about um, and having to explain um, to Disney, our products are successful because of our people. And these are the ways in which we help our people thrive. Um, anything from workspace design to, um, uh, you know, the power of internal storytelling and folklore. They were so intentional about um, their culture. And again, this was long before culture was really a, a known thing um, in the corporate world or something that was actively talked about. Uh, they were doing it because they had a very thriving community. 
Um, and so it was something very organic for them. And so to be a part of that as a, as a customer, as an employee, uh, was really, really profound. Um, and then for that to come to life and, and really help kind of shape my path and career uh, within the studio uh, was really powerful for me. It, it really helped me. Uh, I felt very supported as an individual. I felt very uh, connected to the our product, the films that we were making. And I mean, I, I, I feel, I still call myself a Pixarian today. Like it is such a deep part of my identity. Um, and it really, really set me up for success and to transition out into um, tech, which is where I, I ultimately wanted to be. Yeah. And is there like, is, is that a strong alumni program? You know, there are certain companies that are, you know, you the phrase like, uh, I, you know, people want this company to be a great place to be from. Like, is that kind of a Pixarian alumni network strong? Does that, uh, does that kind of, you know, that the continuity of the experience and the interest, um, you know, stay around after people leave? Absolutely. Yes. Um, but I will tell you, it is a very small group, um, because people don't leave. They're one of the few companies that still produces retirees. Um, that is how strong the culture is. It is wild. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So when you leave, people kind of look at you sideways and they're like, what? How could you do that? <laughs> um, and <laughs> I questioned it myself a number that? of times. Uh, yeah. My friends, my family, everyone looked at me and they were like, you must be uh, on one there. <laughs> and I, like I said, I questioned myself a number of times um, just because it really, it, I was not leaving a job that I disliked. I was not leaving because I was mad or frustrated or disgruntled. Um, I was leaving because my cup was full and it was time for me to, to explore something that I was even more passionate about. Um, I mean, it turns out I was totally wrong. I left to go write a book. I got a book deal with Simon and Schuster to go write a tween novella. And I have not put more than, you know, 15 pages of words together. <laughs> but, um, you know, one thing leads to another. Yeah, well, you know, you've got time. You've got time. That uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be waiting on that book when, uh, when, when you're ready in like I'll a decade. Um, probably an unfair question, but favorite Pixar movie? Oh. It is an unfair question. There's so many. I know, I know, but I, come <laughs> on, this is this is hard hitting uh, podcast now. I need to, I need it's to know. It's true. Well, the so it's funny. They actually ask you that question um, as an interview question when when you are um, in the process as a candidate. And my answer when I was a candidate was Monsters Inc. Um, I felt like everyone okay. was going to say Story Toy Story. I really like thought through all of my my possible answers, and I was like, no, it's like actually, which one could you watch on repeat a hundred thousand times? And it was always Monsters Inc. for me. Uh, the little girl Boo, I thought she was so. She had so much expression for having no words. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, starting at the company and realizing that that was, um, you know, uh, the daughter of an employee. Just, you know, it, it connected a lot more dots for me afterwards. Um, but I would say, having worked there and spent, um, you know, five years in that studio um, with those teams, um, I. This is even more specific than it should be, but my favorite act of all time is the first act of Wally, the first 30 minutes. Um, again, yeah. no talking at all, no dialogue, um, just the beauty and the emotion and the story that's conveyed without words I, is incredibly powerful. Yeah, you know, the, the power of story is, I mean, uh, Pixar has nailed that better than anybody. And, and I think to experience... Uh, that firsthand, I can imagine that's certainly one of the kind of aspects of being a Pixarian that you've, that's stuck with you through all of your roles. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, they, 
story runs through their veins and is so a part of who they are, not just as a culture, like as a collective, but as individuals. Um, they, I mean, you, you couldn't walk down the hall without someone engaging you in a really meaningful way. And the, those stories, the way they connected, you know, the connective tissue between each of them, um, the folklore that lives in, in those walls is just astounding. Um, I'm still in awe of it. They, they do such a good job. And so you, you left Pixar, you found yourself uh, soon after in your first official kind of HR and people role as employee number 21, leading the people and culture team at Clout. Uh, coming from Pixar, I'm curious, like, how did you end up in that job? What, what, what did they see in you to bring you on to, to drive that function, you know, based on your background? Well, I, this, this is where your network really matters. Um, so as I mentioned, I, I left Pixar um, on a very romantic whim uh, to go write this, this children's book. Um, and what happened is I left the studio and I sat at home in front of a blank computer screen and I was hit with the worst case of writer's block I've ever experienced. <laughs> right. And so I did what anyone would do. Um, I called my mentor down at Disney. Um, her name is Brandy and she's a, a published children's book author. And I, I called her and I, I asked her, I said, is this where I go back with my tail between my legs and ask for my job back? Or is this where I push on through and, and have a little bit of grit and, and say that I was meant to do something else? Um, and she said, well, what inspires you? What about being at Pixar inspired you to write, to be creative? What was it that inspired you? And I, I thought about it for a really long time. And I eventually came back and said, it was the people. I miss my colleagues. I miss being around people who you know, the jokes, you know, in the hallway and in the lunch line, um, though, that's what really inspired me to think through these things. Um, and sitting alone, uh, is not helpful. <laughs> right. Me joking with myself is not helpful, um, or interesting or inspiring. Um, and so she said, well, how about this before you give up entirely? I think that you should, um, put yourself in a position with people. And so she, gave me an introduction. She said, you know, we, we, my boyfriend and I are just moving up to San Francisco. She was down in LA. Um, he just has gotten his series B. Uh, he's, he's working on this thing. He has a bunch of engineers, um, and they don't know how to, um, do much of anything. So if you would be interested in trading some of that Pixar fairy dust, uh, for a little bit of desk space, you can go and get that people time. Um, and he could really use some kind of operational help. And so I thought, well, okay, let's do that before I go back and knock on, on those doors at Pixar. And so uh, I met her, her then boyfriend, Joe Fernandez, who, hello, oh, yeah. is the CEO, founder of Clout. Um, and I remember sitting in our new office uh, down in Soma. It was a very Silicon Valley story. Um, he invited me into his new office space. It was like this bunker on this uh, nasty little alley, Stillman Street. And I, I walked in and it was dark. It was, you know, a weekend. Um, and he was sitting on the floor drinking a beer. And he was like, do you want a beer? And I was like, well, sure, let's go. <laughs> I was feeling pretty sorry for myself. And so <laughs> right. we sat in this concrete bunker uh, on this nasty little alley and had a beer. And, and he asked me a bunch of questions about people and, and how he wasn't sure how to you know, take this new round of funding and turn it into something um, incredible. And so I, all I did was share. And I said, this is what I've seen work in the past. At that point, I'd been at so many companies. I was like, this is what I've seen works. This is what I don't think works. But I just listened. And we got it from that beer. He shook my hand and he was like, welcome aboard. And so uh, when I started, they literally 
couldn't wipe their own asses. I don't know if I'm allowed to say asses. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. This is, this, this, <laughs> it, this is a free language zone. Whew, thank goodness. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I, and when I say they couldn't wipe their own asses, I mean, literally the first job I did there uh, was walk down to the corner store and buy them toilet paper. They'd forgotten. <laughs> uh, they'd also forgotten to get themselves desks. So uh, we, when I say I, I helped build clout, I literally helped build right. clout uh, from the ground up. Um, and you know, a, a few months later as, as we grew and, uh, my relationship with Joe began to grow. He he was an incredible leader, and he he gave me a lot of autonomy and trust um, as he was getting the the engineers and the designers um, and the sales team up and running. He let me run everything on the other side of the house. And you know, by the first board meeting uh, in my tenure, I was sitting at the table as as the director of people and culture, uh, which kind of shocked me. Uh, but he didn't doubt it for two seconds. So we we grew from there. Very cool. One thing I've always been curious about, Clout, did Clout scores factor into your recruiting? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because uh, uh, I was like, I remember when Clout came out and I was like, okay, this is really interesting. And actually, I think at the time I was running recruiting and innovation at NPR. And I like when we we're hiring designers and, you know, creative talent and, and talent that, you know, needs to have a digital and social presence, I certainly would check out Clout. I'd be like, all right, huh, let me let me see what you're rocking here. So like, how did that how did that factor in uh, internally in your recruiting operations? Well, first of all, thank you. Um, <laughs> you, you helped us get to acquisition through that. So thank you. Um, you know, I, I would be a liar if I said it didn't play a factor. It absolutely did. Um, and I think I think it really kind of helped us assemble a pretty good team. Um, the people who knew about cloud, the people that were into cloud in those early days, uh, were people that uh, you know had a really good social presence. And I don't just mean online. Yeah. I mean like they were people who who really wanted to be a part of something, and they were people that were interested and curious about community um, in a in a different way. And so. Um, we definitely evolved that thinking as, as the team grew. Uh, we discovered that there were some functions that, um, you know, maybe they didn't have as strong of an online presence. And what we were missing was that IRL, um, you know, part of the algorithm. Um, so from a, you know, inclusion standpoint, um, it did not make sense to use it as a, as a filter, you know, filtering people out. But it definitely sure. did play, play a factor, um, especially in the roles that were much more forward facing. Uh, design is a great example. Um, you know, really great prolific designers are very, very active in sharing their work online and, and a part of the design communities. Um, so yeah, I mean, but it's funny. We, it was a, it was a fun, really, really fun time, and a fun yeah. product. That's a trip. I, this is a, this is a treat. I feel like I just got like a, 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 a deep question I had from about eight years ago answered. So that's a, that's very <laughs> exciting for me. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> So for the for the last you know four years almost four years you've been uh, in a new role you've been building Reddit as their VP of People and Culture and so just briefly for listeners that may not be uh, deeply familiar with Reddit if you could just give a, a an overview of of Reddit and kind of size organization um, uh, that would that would really help yeah definitely so uh, Reddit. Um, is essentially a, a platform that has a network of communities. So people come to Reddit for a number of different reasons to engage with their community, to engage with a group of people who have a common interest. Um, so it could be anything as superficial as, you know, um, the latest memes, which Reddit is very fairly well known for, um, to things that are, you know, more current events, um, news, uh, politics, 
to things that are, you know, much more personal, like um, dealing with loss or um, addiction, suicide, uh, things that are, are really, really deeply, deeply human. Um, and so I, I would say, you know, while Reddit is a network of communities, um, the way I describe it is it's the most human place on the internet. Um, yeah. The good, the bad, and the, the truly authentic. This is where people come to be themselves. And so for, as you've kind of led Reddit's growth over the last four years, what does that look like? Like how big were they when you joined? Uh, what is the size now? Kind of how is that, uh, how is the organization scaled? Yeah, so we have seen incredible growth over the last uh, four years. Um, so when I started, um, I came on shortly after um, Steve, our CEO and founder, returned. Um, and it was a really interesting time. Uh, we were about 75 people um, and kind of looking to grow, but it was definitely a company in turmoil. Um, it was, you know, they, they had seen three CEOs in less than a year. Uh, we had had a, a pretty public, um, you know, user uh, revolt um, that they were, you know, just coming out of. Um, and the majority of the, the team had been here for a pretty significant period of time. Um, so I, I came into a team in transition, that is yeah. for sure. Um, and, you know, flash forward, here we are um, three and a half, almost four years later. Um, actually, we just celebrated... Um, Steve's return, that's, that was four years, and the company is 14 years old. Um, and we are, uh, we're at about 550 people and, and growing. Um, so good, healthy growth, not the blitz scaling, break everything, grow, but like <laughs> some really, really significant growth on, on the people side. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the advantage of that kind of growth is you can be really thoughtful with engineering your people programs and your process in a way that you just can't when you're in hyper growth mode and it's kind of all the hands on deck for recruiting. And for you, you know, I know one of the, the topics that you're you know, deeply passionate about is belonging and really working to instill a sense of belonging in the workplace. And I think if you, it's been interesting to see how that conversation has evolved uh, over the last, you know, really just a short period of time, a couple of years from diversity to inclusion and belonging, you know, which is just a much more deeper, much more integrated conversation. And, and I'm, I'm curious for you, like, where does your passion for belonging come from? Let's, let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, it's so interesting how our experiences shape our perspective over time. And for the longest time in my career, I always looked back, um, I always thought that I was being somewhat haphazard with my my own personal career, um, my development, and my growth because I I followed things that I I liked. I followed people that I found inspiring and uh, creative, and I believe that who that I believe were putting goodness into the world. Um, and now that I am uh, you know rounding around this corner of four years at Reddit, and I look back, and as I've developed my own kind of thinking and my own, own um, philosophies around. The, the people function, um, it is all really deeply, deeply rooted in this belongingness. Um, every job that I've had that I've loved, um, it's because I felt I belonged. I felt that I was with my community. I felt that I was home. Um, yeah. And so when I, when I kind of zoom out of um, my own path and my own journey um, and thinking through kind of some of those common denominators, 
I think one of the most incredible gifts that I've been given to work uh, with the Reddit team is actually our platform and how I can translate that internally. So if we believe above all else that human connection has the ability to change the world, what a powerful, powerful thing to be able to turn inward and say, how can we create that for our people? How can we create that for our team? Um, and we do that through a sense of belongingness by creating, intentionally creating a culture of belongingness. Um, and I don't say that lightly. I don't say that as a, um, a cool, new, hot, fad word. Um, I, I say that um, almost from the position of, uh, you know, amateur anthropologist and to say, you know, what, what makes people feel like they belong? What is the difference between a group and a community? people that show up to work every day uh, versus people that are inspired to come to work every day and they are thriving. Um, and so the, I think that the real opportunity um, to build culture at Reddit is really um, harnessing some of those beliefs and, and our mission, um, which actually is a part of how we feel like we belong somewhere is a really, really strong mission. So you know, the, the developing my thinking around what makes community. Um, we say internally here that it's like the difference between a house and a home. Um, you know, a house right. is a place where people simply gather, whereas a home is where people are bonded together. Um, you know, you come together oh, because you have a sense of connection. You have a shared uh, passion or mission. Um, it's it is something that connects you so deeply through shared experiences that, uh, you know, a group of people won't have, you know, the, the folks that you commute in on the bus with, um, yes, you were all in the same place. You all have the same objective. You were all trying to get somewhere, uh, but that does not make you a family. Um, and so, uh, you know, really thinking more deeply about what a community is and creating this culture of belongingness um, is really around this kind of collective or shared identity that's created around mission or purpose. Um, and it's my belief now that, that organizations um, that have mastered the art of creating an internal community or an internal culture of belongingness, they really get to enjoy the benefits and rewards that belongingness can bring. Um, so yeah, I've been thinking a lot about this lately. Yeah, so how, I guess from a, from a people ops standpoint, you know, how, do you, how do you begin to kind of create some practices and and programs that can help an organization foster a better kind of sense of of community and belonging from its employees absolutely i like i said i i don't i don't say the word belonging or community lightly um and i've been thinking a lot recently about how we actually have deconstructed this um to to build and habilitate actual programs things that are, are tangible that people can feel um and, and see. And so when I think about the different kind of like layers of belongingness, or if we want to get to that, that juicy center, um, that is that thriving community, um, I've actually been able to, to parse this out, um, from a, a people perspective and from a program's perspective through three different layers that we need to address. Um, the first one is the, the company identity. So the, the company identity is that ex external or outward facing, um, oh, wow, you work at Reddit. That's awesome. So this is kind of your sense of pride for where you work. Um, so it means that, you know, generally speaking, you are a place that um, has a strong brand. It's a place where you have a really kind of strong mission um, that people can talk about. 
So this is the, you know, you're at a dinner party or you're with, you know, your, your grandma at a Thanksgiving table and you, she says, well, what do you do, sweetheart? That's the external identity. So to have that kind of commitment and have um, a space where people can feel that. So this is where you get your, your company swag, right? I mean, that's a really simple, <laughs> silly thing, but it matters. Having that yeah. identity that people can say, oh, that's so cool. You worked at Pixar. Oh, that's so cool. You work at Reddit. That's awesome. Tell me about it. Um, people want to feel that pride. And it doesn't matter if you're five people or 5,000 people, having that really strong sense of external identity is important to people. Um, now, if we go further in on that like kind of layered uh, sense of belongingness, the second one is your, your shared identity. And this is the part of the identity that is um, connection to your peers, connection to your job. So when you feel like the work you are doing has an impact, when you feel like you have a responsibility and a commitment to your colleagues, when you feel very loyal to what it is that you are building and what you are putting out to the world, this is your actual like work. Um, and so, you know, a good example of how we kind of bring that to life is um, every year we, we host something called Camp Reddit, where we take people out into the woods and we, we force them to, you know, go offline, to come online with one another. Um, so to say like, oh, hey, that's, you know, Sally from, from Legal, and I otherwise maybe wouldn't have had a chance to connect with her, but now she and I are, um, you know, out in the swimming hall and we have a totally new connection. I didn't know that she had a dog. I have a dog. That's so cool. Or, you know, the morning yoga session. Oh, hey, there's Jim from, uh, you know, the engineering team. There's no world in which she and I would have otherwise connected, but now we have this thing. Right. Um, and so that's having that um, that sense of shared identity internally, um, your policies, your practices, your meeting cadence. Um, because now when you're with Jim and Sally and you're suddenly having this tactical meeting, there's a little bit more space to remember that you're human right? To give each other, you know, the benefit and, of good intent and assuming the best in one another, because you have this connection that is kind of outside of um, your yourself and your own, just trying to get your work done. Um, and then this, the, the third layer in, um, this is all a work in progress, by the way, this is, you're getting my, uh, my beta test this on is, this one. This is breaking. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> I like this. I, I'm going to evolve the thinking, I'm sure, but... Um, <laughs> I'm like, it's funny the way, the way my, my mind works is you're talking about a layer and moving down. I'm completely visualizing the layers as you're just, just so you know, kind of where my head is, as you're breaking this down. I'm just like, okay, I can see this. There's a core. We're getting to the core yes, now. We're getting to the molten lava that is belonging yeah. to Flores. We are getting there. <laughs> the, the, that, that might be the name of your, uh, your second book, <laughs> the molten lava belongingness. Yeah. We got to wordsmith that one a bit. <laughs> this is how you know these are live, right? Um. Yes. <laughs> so yes, as we are getting to the juicy, uh, you know, molten middle of this beautiful uh, uh, thing that is belongingness, um, the third part of the identity that we're really, really careful to help nurture um, that we've learned um, from our platform with Reddit is serving the individual identity. So it's it's no longer good enough to say, wow, I work at company X and I'm proud to be there and I feel like my role has an impact and I love my colleagues. This is a good job for me. I feel like this is my home. Um, we, we are now asking people um, and people are asking us if they can bring their whole selves to work. Hey, I'm not only Caitlin. I'm not only an executive. I'm not only a you know people professional. I'm also a mom. I'm also a musician. I also like to paint. Um, I actually don't like to paint for the record, but there are lots of things that make you, you right. All of these different yeah. components. Um, 
And there are things that that we share that are going to impact um, our ability to show up at work in a certain way. Um, and so by really addressing, addressing this kind of true identity um, all together, it, it really helps us uh, to develop these relationships and the sense of belongingness. And so, uh, you know, I, I, I joke, I actually don't want people to bring their whole selves to work. I'll take like 95%. I'd like you to re- reserve that 5% for your, your friends and your family and yourself behind closed doors. Right. Uh, but in general, we, we want you to bring your whole weird, wonderful self to work. And, and it's our responsibility as a company to create a space that is safe enough for you to feel like you can really get there. Um, you know, it's easy for people to put on the company t-shirt. It's easy for people to, to get in there and get cross-functional and make some relationships. It is not easy for people to show up and say, I am uh, someone who has been trying to care for an ailing parent for the last year. You know, people really think it it starts and stops with, um, you know, showing up and producing good work. But the reality is, is we have a lot of stuff going on in our lives. We have a lot of things that are going to color and and impact the way we show up and how we get things done and the products we build, which is why diversity within organizations is important which is why inclusion and belongingness is now a topic of conversation. Uh, but it's, it's not good enough to just say it. You really, really have to bring it to life and you have to lay that, that, that bedrock, that foundation of community and belongingness where people feel safe and they feel comfortable enough and they want to show up and share with you these other parts of themselves. Yeah, I think it's, it's so, you know, sadly it's so rare to find an environment where you truly feel that way. But I think it's, when you do, it just, it permeates everything you do. You just, you feel it. It's safe. It's comfortable. There's a connection with your colleagues that, uh, that just runs so deep. You can, you can open up, you can talk, you can, you know, cry at work, you can be angry. You can, you can have these emotions that, you know, in, in legacy HR, you would say, well, you don't bring those emotions right. to the workplace, right? <laughs> this is a place of business. And, and like, that's just not realistic. Yeah. I mean, for, cause we're humans and humans are complex and we've got lots of things going on and lots of facets to us that make us who we are and make us think the way we do and react to things the way we do. And so when you're in an environment where you can kind of bring all of that and let that show, then there's no, you know, the, the, the walls are down. Exactly. And I think you can have much more deeper kind of connections. Uh, and you know, ultimately to the business, the business is going to be more productive because people are going to feel more comfortable and more willing to interact and more willing to assume best intent. And, you know, all, all those things that are, that are benefits of having an environment that really truly fosters belonging. You nailed it, man. That's exactly it. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think when you and I first connected, uh, it was when you had opened up a dashboard, um, kind of people dashboard uh, to HR open source. And I just, uh, A, that love the dashboard, but B, kind of loved your approach around saying, hey, I built this thing. I use this thing all the time. Here it is. Have fun with it. You know, make it your own. And I'm just curious from you, you know, why why was kind of embracing open source and, and sharing and kind of giving that tool away important to you? Uh, that is a good question. So I've often shared that I don't consider myself a quote-unquote classically trained HR professional. Um, I don't think I can say that anymore because I've officially been in the function long enough uh, where, you know. Yeah, you've got got your badge at this point. (laughs) I think think I've earned it. I I don't think I can get away with that disclaimer anymore. But but I I owe every 
single ounce of where I am today to the people who helped me get here um, and the communities um, that exist um, that did the exact same thing. Um, when I, you know, after having that beer on that cold concrete floor in that bunker uh, with Joe Fernandez at Clout, the first thing he asked me to do outside of get him toilet paper and desks uh, was to start kind of organizing um, things around talent acquisition, around uh, policies, a handbook. These, I, I had never done those things before. I instinctively kind of knew the direction I wanted to go. And, you know, I, I'd had a few handbooks, you know, as an employee in the past, but if it had not been for the HR and people community um, that I had, you know, very thankfully um, had access to, uh, it would have taken me a lot, lot longer to produce something. And, I, and then I thought, the you know, the shared thinking kind of behind it um, was we should be spending our time with people, not recreating and reinventing wheels that, that either already exist or um, that someone else has already put a lot of thought and, and care behind. And so uh, rising tides buoy all ships, man. We, we have got to help each other out here because I know that every single people professional out there um, wishes and hopes that they could spend more time with people. They do not want to be stuck behind a computer, um, you know, hacking away at these things that someone else can probably do a lot better or has already done uh, because they've, they've needed to do it for themselves. So I'm a huge, huge fan of open source. Um, I only wish that I could contribute more to that community, but I'm, I'm a big fan. Yeah, well, no, you do. And I think that it is, to me, I think that's one of the things that has really accelerated the evolution of the field because, you know, legacy HR, people were very proprietary. People worked in silos. They didn't share. They didn't, you know, work out loud. This idea of uh, here, let me give you my playbook on how we did this was like, well, you're, you're out of your mind. You're going to do that. Like, I'll fire you for that. And right. now it's like, it's very different. And I think you have this, this community and this ecosystem of, of modern people leaders and, you know, through groups like, you know, people tech partners and other kind of organizations where you're bringing people together, they're sharing ideas um, that, you know, that almost networked knowledge and networked capability is accelerating everybody's impact. And I think that, the more that that happens, the more we uh, can kind of move the entire industry in this new direction. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, like I said, I, I don't know where I would be without that ecosystem, without that community, for which I'm very, very grateful. Um, but there, there is so much more that we can be doing. Um, absolutely. Yeah, this is not, I'm not worried about, you know, someone else having a competitive advantage because they have my dashboard that they're sharing with their board. <laughs> I want you to win. I want you to win. I want to win. We can all win. It's not <laughs> um, zero to sum. I think, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. The goal is to give people a better experience at work. And I don't care if that's at my company or your company or his or her or their company. Let's do it. I I love that. I think the, the idea of uh, having a goal of giving people a better experience at work is uh, is noble and important and is a shared endeavor, right, across uh, across all people teams. It's not, uh, it's not just within an individual organization. When you think of 21st century HR, you think of modern HR, like how would you define that? What is that? What does that look like to you today uh, in terms of how it differs from kind of legacy practices? Yeah, I, I would say, um, I mean, for, you know, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but really the inclusion aspect I think is huge. Um, and I don't just mean inclusion for your culture or your community uh, within your organization. I think that it really means inclusion of 
you know, that holistic thinking around that experience. Um, you know, what, what does retention mean? What does engagement mean? What, you know, what is the point of recruiting and blitzscaling if you aren't going to pause and consider, um, you know, the, the long-term life cycle of an employee and really think about their development and their growth? Um, you know, compliance and uh, making sure that your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted is very important. There, there is a place for that. But my goodness, can we let robots do that, please? Can we, can we offload that um, so that we can spend time with people? It yeah. really is about that, that human experience. I want to be, you know, your, your best employer yet. And I want to be your employer after that as well, because, you know, we have a great internal mobility program. I can't build that if I'm busy, you know, crossing T's and dot and I's. So I really do think that the future is very human first. Um, and that includes the humans that are managing the people function. Yeah, I think, and speaking of those humans, you know, the last question I want to cover with you, Caitlin, is when you when you kind of look across the industry, you think about leaders that are, are really pushing the boundaries and kind of setting the the tone and the direction for where HR is going. What what leaders stand out to you? Who inspires you? Oh, how how niche can I go? Um, I I have so many favorites. I have so many idols, um, so many people that I look up to, um, kind of across my own career, um, and experience, but, uh, there's, there's some really incredible people out there doing amazing things, um, which gives me a lot of heart for the future of, um, not just our industry, but really the, the future, um, workforce. Um, I would say, you know, I really look up to people like Katarina Berg at Spotify. She is doing some really, really human first, incredible work. Um, uh, on the other side of the pond here, we've, uh, you know, Claude Silver, who you recently did a, a podcast with over at VaynerMedia. Yeah. Um, I think she's really inspiring as someone who is leading the way in, in changing the notion of what an HR person looks like um, and opening it up to be much more holistic and business focused um, and still leading with a lot of heart, um, as is her title. Um, and then, you know, my, my favorite uh, homegrown mentor and dear friend Margie Mater Clark over at Gladly. Uh, she has been with me for the last 10 years, every step of the way when I really have those those questions. She, she is a tried and true HR professional who has always led with confidence and, and heart and compassion. Um, so those are, those are the three I can think of off the top of my head. But if I, if I may um, expand the definition of, uh, of an HR leader, yeah, please. Um, I'd I, this sounds a bit like I'm pandering, but I really do think that um, our CEOs and founders should be included in this group. Um, you know, Steve Huffman, our CEO here at, at Reddit, I, I would not be able to do, you know, even a fourth of the amazing things that, that, you know, the people team here at Reddit does if it wasn't for him. He is a true champion, a true supporter. Um, he knows he knows our stuff, um, you know, even from the nitty gritty T crossing I dotting, um, you know, he will be the first to sit in a director meeting and give crystal clear next steps on what, the, you know, the performance review system looks like um, without give, me giving him cliff notes. Uh, but more than that, he really empowers our, our people to be connected and stay connected and to uh, be his authentic self. Uh, he, he really, truly, I, I know that he's not in HR and uh, you know, a traditional sense, but I really do consider him a fantastic, fantastic uh, people leader. 
Yeah, and I'm actually, I'm glad you expanded the definition to include him because I think one of the things that's really important about modern HR is that it's not just the CHRO. It's not just the chief, the chief people officer, the head of people, whatever the title might be. Like if they're not working in partnership with the CEO who gets it, you know, who encourages it, who embraces it, nurtures it, resources it, then they're going to be a star, uh, you know, rounding a planet that they don't really fit into because they're not going to be able to do the kind of transformative work um, without having that kind of uh, a leader in that seat. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you brought me the definition because I think you, you actually raised an important point in doing so. Yes, I, I fundamentally believe that HR is is no longer um, you know a, a team of a few people relegated to the back office with a red swing line stapler and a few file folders. Uh, you know, you, you can't identify us anymore from a Manila file folder marching into a room unannounced. Uh, we we are a part of the company. We are we live in every leader, every people manager, um, and every person who you know has the the bravery and the courage to come and, and bring. 95% of themselves to work every day. I think that, I think that's spot on. And uh, Caitlin, I've had a blast uh, on the podcast. So thanks so much for coming on and, you know, sharing your own journey and your experience and your wisdom. Um, I know I got a lot of that out of it. So I imagine listeners will as well. So uh, I really appreciate you making time. Oh, Lars, thank you so much for including me. I, I am so grateful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of 21st Century HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this or read stories from the 21st Century HR Fast Company series, go to 21stCenturyHR.com. And if you want to make your podcast just a little more awesome, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform your ears desire. You'll find all the subscribe links on the website. And if you enjoy the podcast, do me a favor and share it with your peers, your network, your boss, and your CEO. Help me get the podcast into the ears of anyone who wants to know what HR and recruiting looks like when done really well. They'll thank you for it, and so will I. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode.